Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, whether you're here in the room or you're watching us online, we wanna welcome you today to Calvary and are so glad that you are here with us. In just a few moments, we are gonna share in communion together. And uh, so I hope for those of you in the room that when you came in, you were able to get the communion elements. Uh, and if you are watching with us uh, from home, whether it be online or on television, if you have the opportunity to uh, pick up the communion elements, uh, maybe something in your home that'll represent the cup uh, or will represent the bread, I'd go ahead and encourage you to take that and uh, to get a hold of that so we'll be able to share in something together in a moment of communion here at the end of our time together. Well, we are in a series of messages that we have been calling Building for Blessing. And the idea is that there are seasons of time when God wants to pour out blessing into our lives. And when he does that, we have to be in a place where we can support that blessing. Just like you see when there's new construction, whether that's a bridge that's being rebuilt so that is supporting the weight that's on it, or maybe there's new development that's happening and you have to expand that area with more infrastructure. There are times when if we expect and want blessing in our lives, we will have to build for that blessing. And so we've been in this series. We're gonna walk through some things then that if we're gonna build for blessing in our lives, they're important for us to pay attention to. Things that we can't ignore if we intend to build for blessing in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our work, in our ministry, in all those different places. How do we put ourselves in a place to build for that blessing? And the, the thought that we've been walking through is that God will often do the structural before he does the supernatural. Oftentimes in our lives, God will do something structural. He'll do something to build up kind of that internal infrastructure. He will do something to kind of build up our spirits, build up our lives so that he can then pour out the supernatural in our lives. We love the supernatural. It's fun. Three weeks ago, we, we started and talked about this whole concept and how important it is that we're in a position for God to do the supernatural in our lives. But if we want that, it's good for us to see from this pattern in the book of Acts that we're gonna maybe need to do the structural before God's able to do the supernatural. So last week we looked at Acts chapter one, we looked at an example of that from that passage of scripture, and we looked at how oftentimes God will use change to build this structural, to, to strengthen the support in our lives. And so we talked about the cycle of change and looked at this from Joshua chapter one. Today we're gonna look at a whole different concept. We're gonna move to Acts chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me, whether you have it in a print or a digital form, Acts chapter six. Next week we'll, we'll be back here again and we're, we're just gonna do kind of a drive-by of the story today. We'll do a little bit more of a deep dive to look at another factor next week. But I, what I wanna show you in this synopsis of Acts chapter six is something you don't just see here, but I think you see it over and over again. You see it in the life of Abraham, and you see it in the life of David, and you see it in the life of Moses, and you see it in the life of Jesus. You certainly see it repeatedly in the life of Paul, and it's this thing that God will sometimes use in our lives to be able to build us up for the things that we're gonna face, for the things he wants to do. He wants to do supernatural things in our lives, so sometimes, the structural work that God uses, you're not gonna like this. <laughs> Sometimes God uses conflict in our lives to build us up so we can support the blessing that he wants to pour out. And what I want you to see from this passage of scripture is how you approach conflict determines how you build for blessing. When those moments come, those difficult times, those challenges with other people, those circumstances at work that drive you crazy, that neighbor that you hope is inside when you're outside and you're inside when they're outside. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like all those things that you might call conflict, how you approach conflict plays a great part in determining how you build for blessing. Now the reality is we all face conflict. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment and maybe kind of reflect whether you're, you're watching this, you're listening to this, you're sitting here in the room. When I say the word conflict, what do you think of? Do you think of a person? Do you think of a group of people? Maybe you think of a certain situation. Maybe you think of a certain moment and something that happened in your life. You might even, when I say conflict, you might go to a conversation. I can tell you that when conflict first hits me, 
my mind literally goes back to something that happened over 25 years ago, and I go, oh, that's, that's for me the first thing I think of when I think of conflict. A person, a conversation, a situation, an exact moment, a place, I can tell you what I felt, that conflict. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about, that there's something that happens like that when you think of that? So conflict is, is something that not only happens to all of us, it's not only something that impacts us, it's something that can really affect who we are and how we view other people, how we interact with other people. Conflict can make all the difference in how you respond to someone when you see them walking towards you in the store. You see that person and you have to decide, am I gonna keep walking or am I gonna duck down the nail polish aisle? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I'd never go down the nail polish aisle, but I have. <laughs> if I saw conflict coming my way. How we handle these things. Let's just be honest about life. We all face conflict. There's nobody that's immune to it. Conflict is a normal part of life. It's something that comes our way to all of us. And so sometimes I think we think conflict's a, a bad thing. Sometimes we think it's something that we at great lengths want to avoid when the reality is it's a normal part of life. It's going to come kind of just like we looked at change last week, whether you like it or not. And let me show you something that you'll see, I think, in life. We're gonna see it in scripture. How you handle conflict can be the quickest way to destroy a relationship. Anybody? <laughs> like you, you can have a great relationship with someone until you get to the point where they see something different than you do. And if it's important and passionate enough to you, or if you are in a vulnerable place, or you're tired, or you're angry, or you're frustrated, and you respond in a way that you regret later, that conflict can be the quickest way to destroy a relationship. But I, I, wanna, I wanna propose something else that you might not think about conflict, or you might not have experienced this. How you handle conflict can be the strongest way to build a relationship. Because if conflict's a normal part of life, if it's going to come, if it's going to happen, whether it's with your spouse or a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or the person you sit next to in church sometimes, like if you know that at some point conflict is a possibility and you recognize that it can destroy the relationship, it's also good for you to know that how you handle it may be the way that you build the relationship to be much stronger than it was before. See, there are things that are built in times of conflict that I honestly believe may not be able to be built in any other way or any other time. There's something that happens in those moments. And that's why I believe God allows it, even in the best of relationships, that he allows conflict to come sometimes because it's what happens in conflict that builds for blessing in our lives. So we've used a construction analogy kind of through this whole series of messages. We've talked kind of about roadways and bridges and those kinds of things. I wanna shift to a little bit of a different construction analogy for today's message. And I wanna talk about building a house or maybe not building a house so much as working on a house. Does anybody enjoy the home improvement shows that are on TV 24 seven anymore? Do you know what I mean? You've got, you've got Fixer Upper and all the clones that came out afterwards, right? You got Property Brothers, you got all these different shows where people go in and they look at something and they say, we see what's there, now we wanna make it different. Here's the deal though. In almost every instance, before you can begin the renovation, First, you have to have, anybody? <laughs> Demolition, yeah, which is a fun part to watch on the show. If it's not your house, it's a fun thing to do, isn't it? Our, our oldest son bought a house that needed some fixing up, and our youngest son loved to go over to his house and destroy things. That demo was just fun. Let me give you a comparison here. I believe that conflict is like demo. In many ways, when conflict comes, you have this moment where some kind of demolition is happening. It can be messy, it's a lot of work, it can even be dangerous if you're not careful. But here's, here's why I say this. When someone tears down what you have built up, you have conflict. When you build up a certain line of thinking in your mind, when you build up a certain thing in, in, in your life, when you think a certain way, those thoughts that you build up if someone else tries to tear those down, they see the world different than you do. They're critical of you. They might not even know it. You might just kind of feel this in your heart from afar. When someone tears down what you've built up, that sounds like demo <laughs> and it's conflict. And I'll tell you, I, I think it's essential. Oftentimes those moments of conflict are, are so key. And what you do in those moments, the choices you make will determine how that conflict 
plays out in your lives, what the result will be. Now, I want to say this real quick because I know that this is a unique part of this, that conflict is a two-way street. And if you want true restoration, at some point, it takes two people in that restoration in the same way that it took two in the conflict. True? And then sometimes you might want to move towards restoration and that other person may not. Anybody ever been there? And what you find is frustration instead of restoration. You find disappointment. You find that you can't move past that. Now, that's a very real part of life. But what I'm not concerned about is so much the other person as I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about how you're viewing this conflict and how that plays out in your own life because you can have a conflict with someone else and that restoration not be restored and still you allow it to affect every other relationship or every other factor of of communication or responsibility or reflection in your life. Like conflict's huge. And you have a choice where you come to these moments that conflict can end, and if we're talking about demo, let's take this analogy one step further, further, that conflict can end with destruction, desolation, or restoration. Like if you take some place that's under demo, sometimes what happens if the demo goes on too far is the place is destroyed and it's gone. Anybody remember Southwick Mall? Right? Where is it? Amazon's got it like everything else now, right? So this is, this is something to think about. That's the kind of demolition that came in and then nothing's left. There's destruction. I know people that that's happened in their relationships. That's happened in their lives in different areas of their life where there was conflict. And they go, well, we're just not friends anymore. Or that whole relationship is gone. Sometimes conflict can lead to destruction. Sometimes instead of destruction, it just leads to desolation. You ever seen anything where the demo started and then nothing happened after that? <laughs> Anybody have a room like that in your house? Don't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Well, we started, but we haven't, we haven't finished yet. And that happens to a lot of us. The conflict comes in and something gets torn down and never gets built back up. It's something that happens where you go, oh yeah, we're, we're friends. Well, we, I mean, we, we, used, we used to be friends. I mean, you, you know, it, well, it's, it's complicated, right? We have those moments where that relationship is just left desolate. If I'm honest, that's something that happens a lot to people spiritually. That they have a moment of some kind of spiritual conflict, a conflict with a, with a friend at church, maybe a conflict with a church, maybe a conflict that, that you even feel somehow puts you at odds with God. And it's easier to just leave that thing there. And you can spend days, weeks, months, years, decades was something that started to be torn down and now that spiritual relationship in your life is just left desolate. Those two things, destruction and desolation, I don't know that those are what God has in store. But the example we're gonna see in Acts chapter six is one that leads to restoration and not just restoration but actually something that's better than it started. Are you ever amazed when you watch those home improvement shows at what the final product is? They got that from that? Like how'd they do that? They took the worst house on the street and made it the best. And God can do that even through conflict in our lives and this process of restoration. So here's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look real quick at a story in Acts chapter six. Um, We're gonna give a little synopsis. We'll take a deeper dive a little bit more next week into how this story plays out. Um, We're gonna talk about restoration. We're gonna, on Tuesday night, if you know every, every Tuesday, whether it be on our website or then you can watch it on demand on YouTube or on our Facebook page, Uh, We do kind of a teaching that's a follow-up from Sundays. This week, we're gonna talk about how they resolved the conflict, like the steps they took, how they moved forward. And then next Sunday, we're gonna talk about what happened next after that. Today is not a a full sermon series or a theology of conflict. It's just a quick drive-by. And I wanna show you three keys to constructive conflict. That if conflict comes and you're gonna let it be constructive instead of destructive in your life, here's some keys, maybe some things for you to think about. Here's the first one. Number one, let conflict build up and not break down. When conflict comes, look at it in a way so that it builds up and not in a way that it breaks down. Here's what I want you to see, and remember we're using the analogy of a house. Conflict can provide a foundation for building stronger relationships. When conflict comes, it can literally build a foundation 
for building stronger relationships. So we've got kind of over here, our little, uh, our little board to help us out here, we'll, we'll get a, a visual, and I am I'm really good at second grade art, as you will be about to see. And if you're gonna have a house, the reality is in some way or another, in our part of the world, we, we, we have a lot of houses with basements, some are on a slab, some have whatever that is, but wherever you're building, however you're building, you've got to have, and I'll just kind of make it kind of a crude, rough drawing, you gotta have some kind of foundation. You gotta have something that that house is built upon. And conflict can sometimes put us in a place that provides for that foundation so that we can build stronger than where we were. Now, let me show you the conflict in Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, verse one. This is when the church in Jerusalem, it's the only church at this point, it's the church in Jerusalem. It is growing, it is booming. They have seen miracles, they have seen persecution, they have seen even this little bit in Acts chapter five, this crazy kind of judgment and Ananias and Sapphira. I'm dying to tell you about it, but we'll, We'll move, we'll move past that. You've got all these crazy things that happen to the church as the church is booming. And then this happens. Kind of boring, to be honest. Kind of mundane. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, remember that word increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You have something interesting happening here where there's two factions in the church that have risen up because you have Jews, but some Jews were native to Israel and some Jews had come from other parts of the world, other parts of the Greek world or the Hellenistic world, and they had relocated in Israel. So you have some Jews who are Hellenistic and some who are Hebraic. There were language issues, there were background issues, there were culture issues, and in all of that, the Hellenistic ones, the Greek background ones, were complaining against the Hebraic or the Hebrew or the Israeli background ones because they felt they were being overlooked, that their widows, the most vulnerable of them, were being overlooked when food was being distributed. Now, we could unpack all of that, but what do we have right there? We have a, anybody? <laughs> we have a conflict. And there's something that is powerful between these two groups that has risen up to the point that this church that has been through persecution, that has been through judgment, that has been through all this crazy growth now is threatened to be torn apart by conflict. But it shouldn't be a surprise because, and this is what I want you to see in your life, because it's increasing. There is increase coming to the church and sometimes we think that if we're seeing increase, that if good things are happening in our lives, that if blessing is coming, that that means that everything will be easy. You ever thought that? If I'm blessed, then everything will be easy? Here's the reality. Increase comes with issues. <laughs> if you're gonna see increase in your life, there's gonna be more issues for you to care for. Let me, let me go back to an analogy of change that we talked about last week. How if you're a young couple and you're newly married, and you live in a one-bedroom apartment, and then you find out the junior's coming, you gotta get a two-bedroom apartment. You, you, gotta get a, you gotta get another house somehow, and you, you can't just drive that Corvette anymore. <laughs> now you need a minivan, right? And there's these changes that come. And, and then there's two kids, and then there's three kids, and you're thankful for every one of those children. You're thankful for every one of those blessings that come, but with every one of those increases, you also have more, anybody? <laughs> issues. You have more challenges. And when you're blessed, when you have more, you have more. You have more things to deal with, more things to navigate. And this is really key as we look at this idea and see how it plays out. Increase comes with issues. So one, one of the factors that we have, we have a tendency to avoid conflict or to ignore it or to think that it's bad. And this passage of scriptures tells us that when you have increased conflict is a natural part of building for blessing. So my hope is that you'll realize that conflict can be a foundation for you to build up, not just for things to break down. It's a foundation that you can build upon. It's a natural part of building for blessing and watching this, because watch what happens. They have a conflict in verse one. Tuesday night, we'll walk through how they resolve it in verses two through six, and look at verse seven at the end of the conflict. So the word of God spread, 
the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Did you see what happened? They had increase, then they had issues. And when they dealt well with the issues, then they got more <laughs> increase. Like if you want to see more increase in your life, it's that cycle of, of blessing we looked at last week. If you want to see that, then how you deal with these issues, how you build for blessing determines how that blessing comes in your life. But let me tell you this. When you avoid conflict, you miss out on the blessings it can bring. We have a tendency to go, no, I'll steer clear of that. No, I'll bury it. No, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I'll avoid that person. Or I'm not bringing that topic up again. We'll, we'll, we'll let that go. And usually the things you say you'll let go are the things you hold on to. And in those moments, we fail to realize that when you avoid conflict, you fail to build a foundation that you can build blessing on. Happens in churches all the time. Happens at work, happens in school. It really happens in families. And we miss out on what conflict can do. Now, I know different people view conflict in different ways, and there are some people who love it. There's some people who are very comfortable with it. There are some of us who just want to steer clear of it. And it's important that we recognize that as we walk through this process. And one of the things why conflict is difficult is because conflict exposes what might be under the surface. Conflict exposes what might be under the surface. Because I might all of a sudden have a conflict with you and it's a minor conflict, but you don't realize that what it stirs up in me is something major from years back. And because that conflict was never dealt with, that exacerbates that conflict that you and I have. On July 15th, 1942, there was poor weather and limited visibility. And there was a group of uh, six P-38s and two B-17 bombers that were on their way back to the British Isles in World War II because of the weather and everything, they had no choice but to kind of do an emergency landing in Greenland. And they landed in these ice fields where once they got down there, there was no getting back up from there. Nine days later, they were rescued. But as you can imagine, they're rescued. There's a war going on. And those eight planes just stayed there for decades and decades and became buried under 268 feet of ice and snow. Can you imagine that? 268 feet. That's almost a football field of ice and snow. Crazy when you think about it. 50 years later, 1992, after time of exploring and seeking and melting and thawing and icing and freezing and all those different things, eventually they were able to discover one of these planes, pull it back up out, get it back to the United States, and it was restored to flying condition, and they've named this plane the Glacier Girl. That's a good name, isn't it? But what it took was someone finding what was under the surface and then being willing to do the hard work to restore it so it could fly again. And when you avoid conflict, those things just get buried. Conflict exposes what might be under the surface and I know it's easy to ignore those things. It's easy to let them go, but go back, go back to the analogy of your house. What you ignore is what will erode. If you see issues with the foundation of your house, is it wise to ignore them? No, you need to address them. Because eventually, if you just ignore those things, that's where erosion comes in. That's where that destructive pattern comes in. Many a house... And I'll tell you, many a church that I've known, facility, building, has had issues that get ignored. Wow, well, we, we don't have time to deal with the roof right now. We, we don't have the money. There's no way we can do this. Ah, we'll, we'll put off those windows until another time. Or, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll fix the foundation next summer. And when you ignore those things, it usually ends up costing you more later, doesn't it? And it brings destruction that you could have avoided in this process. Conflict can actually build a foundation that you can then build on instead of cause to be broken up. Conflict may be God's way of doing something better. Years ago, I heard Rick Warren use an analogy that has always stuck with me. And he talked about the tunnel of conflict. 
He said, odds are every marriage, every friendship, every church, every, every workplace, every neighborhood is gonna come to a point at some place where there's conflict. And when it does, it's like you've come smack dab up against a mountain and there's no way for you to get over it. Instead, you have to go through the tunnel of conflict. And that tunnel of conflict is dark and it's cramped and it's long. In fact, it usually takes longer to see the light on the other side than you think it should. But once you get on the other side, then you've broken out into a whole new era of that relationship and in a whole new place where you can thrive. And you've moved that forward so you don't get stuck And that analogy takes us right back to this idea that sometimes conflict is the only way through. So that takes us to the second key for constructive conflict. Let conflict bring us together and not pull us apart. Let conflict bring us together and not pull us apart. Acts chapter six, verse one. Let's go back to that passage of scripture. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And it it just maps out here that there was such a distinct difference between them, Greek and Jew. Hellenistic and Hebraic. And the early church had to decide, what are we gonna do about this? Because we have these things that very clearly divide us. We are different. We're from different places. We speak different languages. We see the world differently. And at some point, the early church had to decide. The early church decided that what used to divide is now secondary to what unites. Like, it doesn't change those things. There will always be those things that we need to navigate, those things that are different about us, the places we come from, the way that we look at things, the way that we think. But the early church had to decide that what used to divide them is now secondary to what unites them. And the reality is that's true when you build a house. When you build that house, don't you like the little setting it's into with the trees? Isn't that nice? When you build that house, at some point, then you realize that you have brought it all together. Like you've built a structure and a support that's going to last. And you've taken all these different parts and you've brought them together in a way so that they're held together. What happens when we let division come in is then it can't be held together anymore. Jesus said it best, Mark chapter three, verse 25, is if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So we have to ask the question, maybe using the analogy or the example in in Acts chapter six, what divides a house? Like what are the things that can cause our house, our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our families to be divided? And there's a few things that we see in that passage of scripture. One of the things we see is that the the people were complaining against each other. And when we complain, we divide our house. When the words that we use are consistently words that are critical, that are self-focused, that are woe is me, or what's wrong with someone else, when we're never happy, when we're always passing judgment, when there's those things that are happening and we complain, That was the problem in Acts 6, and that consistent criticism, that consistent negativity can be the very thing that starts to cause our house to not be divided, and a house, or to be divided, and a house that is divided will not, anybody? (laughs) Won't stand. That's why I have to be careful about the things that I listen to, that a steady dose of cable news and talk radio might not be the healthiest thing for me, that there are some people in my life who I can be friends with, but I shouldn't talk about certain things with. There are things that I need to avoid in social media because it can cause that complaining spirit to start to tear down my house. So when we complain, that's one of those things. Another thing that happens is when we compare, we begin to tear down our house. It divides our house. When we look at other people and begin to think about, well, on the one side, when we begin to think about how I'm better than them, how you have it better than that other person, or you do this better, you do that better, especially if they've got opportunities or examples that you wish you had, that comparison begins to tear us apart. It often tears us apart too when we begin to look at someone else and say, well, I wish I was, or they have this and I don't, or they've got that and I never could. We've said this statement many times over the years, but comparison is quicksand. 
And if you're building your house on that kind of quicksand, it's, it's not gonna stand. When we complain, we tear down our houses. When we compare and when we compete, when we view everything as a competition, I think so many of us do this internally without even realizing it. We have these relationships with other people and everything we look at is a win or lose. We would never think of win-win. Either I win and they lose or they win and I lose. And when that competition comes in, it begins to just tear things apart. And all those things were things that you see underlying in this story in Acts chapter six, because if you just take the story, they're complaining against each other. Somebody needs to win in this circumstance. They're comparing the way that they were treated. They're, they're seeing each other as victims. They're seeing each other as, as, as being unfair and viewing each other in different ways. And all of this is stirring up. And this is probably the most dangerous thing that the church faces in these early days in Jerusalem is that their house is divided because a house that is divided cannot stand. Let me, let me show you one other thing that I think happens that's really dangerous. My friend Matt's here. Matt, Matt would you mind coming up and helping me out here for just a minute? Because uh, I, I want to I show you an example of what happens. This is, uh, oh, there we go. This is my backpack. I carry this backpack literally everywhere I go with me. Keep my computer in it. Keep all my important papers in there. Matt, would you want to set those books down there real quick? Um, Matt and our friends, so this hasn't happened, but it could happen, where Matt says something to me that offends me, and I kind of keep track of it in some way. And, and when he does, I, he says that, and it's, it's almost like he drops it in the back of my backpack here, and then I carry it around. And then maybe at some point, I, I start to view things, and I, I start to see them a little bit differently, and I, I start to think about Matt a little bit, and I was like, yeah, sometimes he just kind of irritates me and I complain a little bit. And when I do, then those things kind of go in the back and I just, I'm carrying it around. And at some point I look and I go, I think Matt's smarter than I am. I think Matt's better looking than I am. I think Matt can, what can you do better than I can? I mean, just give me a, give me a whole list of stuff. You can go on and on. And when I start thinking about that and comparing, then that's something that I'm just, I'm carrying it around. And then at some point you have these moments with other people where you want to you want to go either I win or they win. It's win or lose. And you start carrying around and all those things start happening. And then you think of an offense that happened, probably something he didn't even mean to be an offense. You ever text somebody something and they read it the wrong way because there's no tone in a text message. And he said, have a nice day. And he meant it, but he forgot to give the little smiley face with the blushed cheeks. Do you know what I mean? And instead I took him going, well, have a nice day. I'm like, can't believe he sent me that text. And I start carrying that. And there's all these things that happen. And eventually you got all these things that are going on. And with each one, you're weighed down more and more and more. And you can't get rid of it. And you're carrying it. And you're holding it. Oh, you're sealing it in there too, huh? <laughs> and in those moments, you have this. Here's the problem. You've got all these things that divide. And then at some point, if you're not careful, we don't just um, complain. We just don't compare. We just don't compete. Then we carry it. And the longer we carry it, the more it weakens us. For the record, none of this ever happened. Matt, thank you very much. Would you give Matt a big hand? Thanks, man, for helping me out. <laughs> Except I'm still carrying it. Like, I've still got it back here. So it's going to limit what I can do. To be honest, it would be hard for me to build a house with this on my back. Because when you're carrying those things, you can't build for blessing. And there may come a moment when you have to be willing to say, I have got to put this thing down. I cannot carry it anymore. I, I, I want to just be your pastor for just a minute. We have never, in, in my recollection, had a season like the eight, last 18 months or so when there's been so many things that have caused the unity in our houses to be threatened. So many places in politics and so many places in culture and so many places in the news and things that are happening that have allowed us as God's people to be in places where we complain and we compare and we compete. And what's even worse is so many of those things we just can't let go of in our conversations, in our social media postings, in the things that fill our minds. And at some point, I've got to ask myself the question, is this thing even worth carrying in the house? 
Is this thing that's not gonna last worth being something that's gonna divide me? I think those things that you're carrying, it's wise for you to consider and think about what what are you gonna do with those things and where are you gonna put them? Because there's some things that you just don't even wanna bring in the house. Because a house that's divided cannot stand, which takes us to the last thing, number three. Let conflict open the door and not lock down our hearts. I think so many times one of the dangers of conflict is that it locks us out to other people. When God wants to use that to open the door to our hearts. It's interesting, Acts chapter six, that story, that solution that we're gonna look at on Tuesday night, those answers that get proposed, it would have been easy for certain people in the church to fight and go back and forth. I love what we read here. Acts chapter six, verse five says this proposal pleased the whole group, that they were willing to say, you know what, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good way to go. Let's do it. And when they did, when they were willing to navigate that conflict, it changed everything for the church. Did anybody notice what's missing from this house? It has no, it has no class, right? But it also has no what? (laughs) Door, right? And at some point, I've got to be willing to recognize that conflict itself might be the very door that opens things up, and you have to be willing to open that door. You have to be willing to open the door. How, how do you do that, Chad? What do you do? Let me throw a couple of thoughts your way. One, I think, I think when you're dealing with conflict, you gotta start at home. At some point, you gotta look at yourself. At some point, you gotta say, how did this happen? And did I play a part in this? Is there something that I need to do to change? Is there somewhere where my heart's not right? Is there some place that I'm not living according to God's word? Jesus tells us that if we wanna bring a gift, but we have an issue with somebody else, we're supposed to take care of that issue before we do our spiritual sacrifice. Like, we have to look at ourselves first. It's like the, the guy that walked in the house after working in the garden and got dirt all over the kitchen floor and then walked in and said to his wife, this floor's a mess, why don't you clean it up? <laughs> and he's blaming her, yet he's the one with the muddy shoes. It's easy for us to blame other people when actually we might need to look at the bottom of our own feet and see, are we the ones that are playing a part in this? And when conflict happens, can I encourage you to do demo with reno in mind? That when you do demo, make sure you keep reno in mind. If you're doing demo in your house, one of the things that you keep in mind the whole time is if I'm gonna knock out this wall, there's parts I don't wanna lose. Like I don't wanna lose the plumbing and I don't wanna mess up the electrical because I'm gonna build back on this So there's parts of this demo that I need to keep in mind that I don't destroy the reno in the process, which means when you are facing conflict, be willing to handle it in a way so that on the other side of this, you know you can build on that. So much of that involves forgiveness, being willing to share that forgiveness with other people. And sometimes people will say, Pastor, you you talk about forgiveness, but you don't know what they did to me. (laughs) And you don't know what they're like. And I, 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 gotta, I gotta maybe do a better scriptural study of this. I said forgiveness, I didn't say forget. Like sometimes there's things you need to remember. Not that you hold on that person, but if you see someone's character, just because you forgive doesn't mean you always trust. Does that make sense? Like there's wisdom that comes with this. Jesus says we're as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Paul was quick to point out to Timothy, hey, there's some people whose character has proven. You might want to steer clear of those folks. But forgiveness is so key. And when you go into these demo conflict situations, be careful that you don't go in guns a blazing. Be wise about how you respond. I've told the story before about, uh, I'd, I'd probably been in this pastoral seat a year, maybe two, and I had a team member. It's good for everybody to know because people try to figure it out. I had a team member who's no longer with us complain about another team member who's no longer with us, so don't try to figure it out. And uh, they were telling me everything that this person did that was in opposition to what I had asked for them to do. Man, did I get mad. I got so frustrated. In that moment, I wasn't the pastor of Calvary Church anymore. I was the sheriff. And I strapped on my six shooters I can remember so clearly just walking down that hall on a mission, walked into their office, 
and I let him have it. Because I'm the sheriff in this town. And then they told me the rest of the story. They told me everything that that other staff member had not told me, all the things that they didn't want me to know, and all the things that changed the whole story. And I realized that when the sheriff walked in shooting, he did a lot more damage than he realized. And both of those relationships were never the same. When you're doing demo, do it with Reno in mind and get God's guidance. We'll look at this more as we go through this series, but we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You get what you pray for. And when you're in these moments of conflict, the most important thing you can do is ask God for discernment. God, would you help me? God, would you help me to sort this out? God, would you give me wisdom? God, would you give me discernment? Not because you need all the secret answers, but because seeking God's heart will change yours. When you seek God's heart, it's gonna change your heart and it will show you things that you need to see. You'll help to understand the other person better. When you pray, it changes your heart. And if I can take this analogy, just kind of one more step, almost to the level of cheesiness. When you build back, build using the architect's blueprints. Because if you're, if you're honest with yourself, this whole book is about conflict. How at the very beginning of time, we only get three chapters into this. And God's kids get in conflict with their father. And we watch how man is separated from God. And then the whole rest of this book is the story of how God goes to great lengths to restore that conflict between him and his family. And so when you're in those moments of conflict, Remember Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I think, I think one of the reasons why I feel this so strongly is because I watch so many people in so many relationships and so many moments that never move past those points of conflict. And if you don't, then it doesn't allow you to have the support that God wants in your life for the blessing he wants to build. If you wanna see the supernatural, sometimes you have to do the structural first and that may mean navigating those points of conflict. And you say, Chad, it's gonna be work. Chad, it's gonna be hard. Chad, it's gonna cost. We, we have done over the years, <laughs> we bought this building in 2010 and we have done a ton of renovation in this building over the years. So much that, that, that you wouldn't even know so many things that were under the surface. Like a full third of our initial budget when we, when we renovated this building was just an electrical. Things you'll never see, but things that had to be done. There's been a ton of demo that's happened. Our cafe used to be a bar. Our connection center used to be an arcade. That's why if you've ever been in there, there's still twinkle lights in the ceiling. All that kids area that, that's beautiful down there now were abandoned theaters that needed Heavy, heavy, heavy demolition like you wouldn't imagine. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of demo that had to be done in order to make something beautiful. One of my favorite parts in, in our whole church building are the fireplaces that are in the center. It's just a cool focal point and just, just kind of, it's so unique to this building. But I remember the day that those fireplaces were just a vision and instead, there was a massive concession center there in the middle. Does anybody remember that from movie theater days? I remember the day we tore it down. I had no idea what 13-year-old popcorn grease and Coke syrup would be like. It was nasty. But it needed done. And we didn't leave it like that. Like that process of tearing it out, leaving the important stuff there, being careful every step along the way. That process was so important. But without it, we wouldn't have the blessings that we know today. And I'm gonna invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And whether you're watching this at home or you're right here in the room, what's that moment for you? Like, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about some point of conflict, past or present, and asking you maybe to humble yourself maybe to change your, your perception of it, 
to get a new perspective on what God can do. Lord, for some of us, there are conflict points in our life that need desperate help from you. Lord, would you let these truths from your word settle in our hearts so that our homes, our families, our work, our church, our lives can be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know where it starts? It starts in Romans chapter five, verse 10. Listen to this language. It tells us, for if while we were God's enemies, does that sound like conflict? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And with that, we're gonna come to a moment of communion because there is no restoration in conflict without forgiveness from Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to take the communion elements and uh, Paul gives us instruction when we come to these moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says, then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and, and peel back that first layer and take the bread with me if you would, please. And before we share in the bread, would you take a moment and just search your own heart? Are, are there things, are there places, are there moments where God wants to change some things in your life? Where he wants to help you move past some conflict? Move past a place that, that has held you back in some way. And that today's the day to say, God, I give you this part of my life. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, we thank you for this bread. That is a, a symbol, it's a reminder of the broken body of Jesus Christ. That God, you were willing to sacrifice your son while we were enemies. That Jesus, you were willing to allow your body to be broken while we were still sinners so that we could know restoration from our conflict with you. That we could have forgiveness. And so Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, let's share in the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness and that there's life in the blood and there's healing in the blood and there's forgiveness in the blood. And may we remember your sacrifice and experience your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup together. I invite you to stand with me if you would, please, if you're here in the room today and uh, even if you're watching at home or somewhere today. We're gonna take a moment and just sing a song of praise. We're gonna thank God for his amazing grace that allowed us to no longer be enemies, but that we could say we are a friend of God. Father, thank you that even when we were in conflict with you, you brought your grace and forgiveness to us. You brought your hope and your life to us. And so now, Lord, our chains are gone. We've been set free. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate all that you've done for us. For your amazing grace, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you sing it with me one more time? Sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I'm Come on, believe this, and my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing. Come on, twas grace that taught, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve. How precious did that grace come on thee and the Chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a His mercy reigns. Unending love. thank you for your grace so amazing your love never ending that chose to call us yours even on our worst day so father for everyone in this room and in their houses i just pray for a spirit of freedom to remind them to let go of the things that were never ours to hold on to just as you've shown us much grace May we show the same grace to those around us, Father. It's because of what you did by sending your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice he made that we can stand where we are today, whole, forgiven, and free. We give you honor and all the glory and all the praise. And in Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen, amen. Come on, lift the praise to Jesus. Thank you, Father.